0: Good morning. Welcome to the first ever podcast of The Back of the Sand. I'm Mark O'Donnell, your host, and I'm joined by our expert analyst, Kevin And um, This is our first podcast, so um, it's kind of played as we go and we'll see how we get on with it. Um, so just to kind of get it started on, on this morning's show. We're just going to go through the results of the weekend Premier League matches and um, that will be followed by a discussion and a prediction of how the season's going to go. So the results were as follows. So West Ham lost 2-0 away at home to Newcastle. Um, Leicester beat West Brom 3-0. Um, Everton won 1-0 away to Spurs, which is a big result. Crystal Palace won one nil at home to Southampton. Fulham got absolutely destroyed 3-0 by Arsenal and there was a right classic in Anfield. Liverpool 4, Leeds United 3, uh, which I presume, Kevin, you were probably kind of fearful that they might have gotten a hammering there, but I, I, I suppose at the, at the end of it, still disappointed that they lost. Uh, yeah, good morning to you, Mark. How, are you? Um, How
1: listen, are you? First of all, I suppose, I'm not sure about the expert part, I suppose, look, we leave our listeners decide that and what kind of guff I come up with, um, certainly uh, Leeds on Saturday um, an amazing match. I, 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 couldn't believe it. Kind of, we have got seven goals, four goals disallowed, plenty of free attacking football. Um, I always thought Leeds. I honestly thought we would get a draw of it. Thought we could get a result. Um, Bielsa no doubt would have prepared for that match with the last six weeks, knowing that's what was coming. Um, yeah. tough one to take. Like, not always you go to the home of the champions, score three goals, and come away with nothing. It'll be interesting to see if Leeds can keep up that kind of momentum attacking football for the rest of the year, the rest of the season. Um, you'd be confident that we'd be the next Sheffield United um, good 7th, 8th place finish, but an amazing game.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and like of the, of the three promoter teams, like they they had the hardest game, like the other two promoter teams, like Fulham at home to Arsenal and West Brom at home to Leicester, they were difficult games, but you'd have to say Leeds at Anfield, the first game, was the most difficult one, and they've come out of the three promoter sides, they've come out looking the best hope of staying up between the three of them, really.
1: Yeah, look, I suppose, look, you never really want to go to Anfield and play the champions, do you, but it's probably the best time to get it, to get it out of the way early. Um, like yeah. that. we 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 great result. It, it could have gone totally pear shaped when we conceded the penalty in the fourth minute. You're thinking, oh, we're in for a long evening here, guys. But um, no, they they played fantastic. And it's, what matters now is next week they've Fulham um at home next week. You want to get a great result against Fulham to separate yourselves from the other promoted teams to say, okay, we're here, we mean business, and crack on from there.
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Because like, there's definitely going to be kind of the first game back there. They're going to be on a natural high and kind of out to show that they weren't going to be kind of annihilated, especially at Anfield. Like there was going to be no complacencies for the first game of the season, thinking a handy win at home or anything like away at Anfield, as tough as you come. Um, but do, do we think that it says much about Liverpool? Are they? Or do you think they'll find it a lot harder this season? I, like, I suppose it's the same in all sports. Winning it the first time, obviously, it takes a while to get over the line and stuff. But once you've won it the first time, if there's a target on you then. And you do find it harder to come back the second year and win it.
1: Well, yeah, certainly. I, I honestly think kind of Liverpool are in a stage where they're almost defending it for a second time. Because when we went back after the break, after the, the lockdown, they, they pretty much had the title won and they were... yeah. Almost in kind of the, the the mindset of yeah, look, we're champions, and they they lost a few games, they dropped points where they shouldn't have. Um, so you'd like to think, from a Liverpool point of view, that that mindset out of the way. That look, yeah, we've won it. We we had our fun. Kind of after lockdown, we kind of fluffed it a bit. But no, they should be focused. The only thing about Liverpool, you have to look at you now. Leeds weren't great either in that department. We can't see the four, but they can't see the three. Liverpool's backline, they're all over the place. Like. Who would have thought that Dion Lovren was the man making Virgil van Dijk um, look like the superstar he is? I just think Liverpool needs to invest heavily just in, a, in another centre-back, because where they yeah. were yesterday, Le- Leeds found spaces that they shouldn't have been finding, especially for a promoted team. So I think if, we're, if I'm a Liverpool fan, I get worried, because unless you're improving the squad, you're going yeah. backwards. Yes, they were fantastic last year. I think they've only bought one player. Um. Yeah, it's almost as if they need to sell to buy, and they're thinking, "Oh, something's not right here."
0: Yeah, and I, I wonder, if there kind of been a bit of hype as well, um that they don't deserve in terms of Virgil Van Dijk. Like to me, Virgil Van Dijk reminds me of Rio Ferdinand, great ball playing centre half. But like people shouldn't forget about Rio Ferdinand, especially when he was at United. He needed Vidic, who was kind of like a John Terry kind of defender, just tough and teak to kind of. Keep the defense solid, and you'd wonder: Does Virgil Van Dijk need someone next to him with a bit of discipline to kind of keep um, the defense in check? Because, like, conceding four, conceding three goals at home to a, a team that's newly promoted, with no disrespect to Leeds, that that's not that's not a good start to the season, really. And like, what I would say about Liverpool, and like, I will declare a bias here: I am uh, an ardent United supporter. They even. Like the, the league really won before Christmas, and since the turn of the year, even before the lockdown, their farm d- dipped massively. Like, there was all this talk were they going to go the whole season unbeaten, or were they going to even win 36 of the 38 games? And was it they lost 4 0 away to Watford in, in February or March or whenever it was? And since then, like, they got knocked out of the Champions League. Their farm really hasn't been champion farm.
1: No, and that's what I mean. So kind of like they want It looks as if they had their fun, um, yeah. and they've kind of fell away a small bit. Maybe the minds weren't focused. No, I'm not sure what kind of preseason they had. I, I think they 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 who they, they did a tough game there where they conceded two early on. But um, it it escapes me in pre-season. But yeah. Yeah, they they just need to focus and they, and they need to get back to it. Like they've an amazing forward three. Uh, they need to figure out what Why doing in the middle of the park. Is he staying or is he going? If he's going, they need to get someone in there, um, to yeah. to attack. Which are, if Jordan Henderson is looking back to attack. But the other thing I look at Liverpool is that if your centre back pairing is a bit off, there are two, there are two kind of uh, centre or cornerbacks. Let's say Robertson and Alexander Arnold. Yeah, amazing going forward. But that's who get cut out then when the when the opposing teams are attacking. And that's where Jack Jack Harrison when he came in off the left yesterday. Like he yeah. it was a tough ball. An amazing pass by Phillips. But it was easy. He just walked in and smacked it in and it's goal and you're thinking, Ooh, your your right back should really have closed that out and booted the ball away.
0: Absolutely. And like we saw with Chelsea a couple of years ago under Conte when they were playing um the two full backs, Alonso and the boy who played at Liverpool as well, I can't remember his name. They um, had two amazing full backs and a centre back of three um, that time. But, like, do, if a good run of form like that, especially with the same players, it'll go on for a certain amount of time, but there will come a time where like, teams will figure out how to play against it and stuff. So, I think we've heard how great a coach and a manager Klopp is and, like, he does definitely bring an energy and enthusiasm to the Premier League that, no, that really worries. was was missing from Liverpool. But, like, innovation now is very important for Liverpool, I think. They, they can't rest on their laurels. They can't think that keep playing the same way with the same players. You have to kind of change things up a bit and keep the team fresh. So, but I suppose, like, looking for Liverpool, like, it's only the first game of the season. They did win the match. So, like it was a, it was it, it it was at least it wasn't a draw or a loss for them. But I suppose going forward, it, you'd imagine they'll improve. And like you'd imagine that Leeds, like, will go through some tough times as well. But I think Leeds might actually be all right. They they do have the best hope of the tree of staying up.
1: Yeah, uh, listen. Yeah, what what I would say about it is from a Liverpool point of view, it was job done. They got the win, settled the nerves. Yes, they can't see the tree, but they 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 scored more. Stay the, the the point of the game. Um you'd hope from a Liverpool point of view that they realise what happened, they plug the gaps in the fence, and from a Leeds point of view that they don't get too cocky, too big-headed saying If we can do this at Anfield, we can do it anywhere and like the, they aren't as focused. So from a Leeds point of view, Fulham next weekend, get the three points, and then that's our kind of our bounce into better things then for the rest of the season.
0: And as as the season progresses, like in terms of who's actually going to be challenging with the title. Obviously, Liverpool are going to be up there, Man City will be up there. Do we think anybody else is going to be up there? Like, I wouldn't be confident that United are going to put in a, a consistent run of form to challenge. Um, I can't see anybody threatening Liverpool and Man City at this stage. Maybe Chelsea.
1: Well, yeah, I think maybe this is where my expert tag, as you've put on me, might uh, come into question. I'm really looking forward to seeing Chelsea tomorrow evening, or, or this evening even, against Brighton. Um, I think... They've added to the squad brilliantly this season though no, obviously they couldn't have the last couple of years and mm. Frank Larpard now he's, he's got the full season behind him fantastic kids coming through but just I think Timo Warner is going to be the star of the Premier League this year um, bringing in Ben Chalba in the back as well defence with Thiago Silva um, I'd be f- very much looking forward to seeing what Chelsea can do this year but look we'll see what they can do tonight against Brighton it'll be a tough game away from home but uh, it'll be interesting
0: yeah, well, it'll definitely be interesting. Like they, they do seem to have a lot of good young talent there and like as you said, they've bought a few players as well. Um and I think that probably has put them a good bit ahead of United. Like United finished third in the Premier League last season, but like apart from a Dutch fellow I've never heard about. They really haven't kicked on in the transfer market. And like I, I wonder as well, in terms of Paul Pogba and David De Gea. Like their like David de Gea's form has dipped massively, and there's no there seems to be no talk anymore of Paul Pogba leaving the club, and I wonder if it was that because other clubs just think for the money these guys are on they're just not worth buying them.
1: Well, look, I think it's very easy for people on the outside looking in, kind of going, what what's going on there?" But yeah, I, I have big fears over de Gea and Pogba staying at United. Um. De Gea is too much of a liability really and you'd have to wonder yes Dean Henderson with Sheffield United last year fantastic campaign but I, I can't see De Gea being the type of person to stay United sit on the bench so he's obviously Oli's number one for the year Um, the, the conversation must have been had when De Gea knew Henderson was coming back in um, with Ollie, with De Gea saying look okay you're either number one or number two and if he was number two you can bet your bottom dollar that he'd have been gone, gone out of there this summer Um, yeah. Pogba then on the other side like how many faces and names United have said, yeah, look, he's just—he's a bad apple in the club. He's a bad attitude. Um Yeah, I, I'm very surprised as well that he didn't find a way out there as well this summer. Um Even yeah. when United were on the great run of form after lockdown, he didn't do anything extra special. So I'd just be worried for United. And to be honest with you, Mark, I think Ali could be the first one on the chopping block. Uh, oh, that's... I, I, I see him gone before Christmas
0: really yeah I I, I I I think they should stick with him to be honest I think they i I, I see what you mean they there are kind of some warning signs going out there, they know the United fans on social media are kind of piping back up again about the lasers and how they've just taken money out of the club and not invested in it um but I think Ali should be given time because, like, you look at the previous three managers, like David Moyes, Van Hal, and Mourinho, you'd have, you'd have to say they sacked David Moyes too soon, although he should never have gotten the job in the first place, but that's another conversation. They sacked Van Hal in a horrible way. He found out the morning of the FA Cup final and they probably sacked Mourinho too soon in the season as well. So I think come hell or, or, hell or high water at this stage, they should just stick with Oli for the season. If if he doesn't do it, if they don't get into the top four at least, then replace him in the summer. But I think United have sacked too many managers mid-season now at this stage. And the new man coming in hasn't done any better than the old man. So is sacking the manager really the solution to it?
1: I think you need to look at it in that, have they stuck with Oli now for too long? I think there's a massive difference between a caretaker manager that comes in steady to ship to the end of the season and then giving that man uh, the job full time, which is what Oli was brought in to do. He was brought in um, to take the wheel, steady ship as a caretaker manager. I honestly don't think when he was brought in that he was the, the man the board were thinking we're going to take over after that. Um, not. But obviously a couple of good results. But fantastic documentary there now on Sky. Not to bring it back to Leeds. Yes, I'm a Leeds fan, but the the uh, the fall and rise of Leeds United. Some of our problems was that we as caretaker managers that steadied the ship I'm thinking of Peter Reid till the end of the season. You give him the job into the next season and what you know, he's gone by Christmas because, as I say, they're good at plugging gaps or, no, not United's case, but kind of steadying the ship and avoiding relegation. But these aren't people that you want to push on and win the league. Ollie, great servant to the club, but is he the world-class manager? You United want to be winning the Premier League or... Back in Champions League, when like, it's it sounds mad now to be saying United win the Champions League, but United should be contesting for the Champions League. No
0: doubt, no. yeah. Uh, and but what what do I question you on, Kip, and there, Kevin, and he's someone you actually know. Um, is Roy Keane? He had the conversation about with Jamie Carragher, um, last year. Well, conversation might be a bit um, diluted. He had a, probably had a row with it. Jamie Carragher about it when Carragher suggested that all these should be sacked when they went through a very bad run of form. I think they just lost three 0 to Liverpool at Anfield, and Roy Keane made the comparison with, um, Frank Lampard and said that Frank Lampard doesn't get any stick really, and to be fair, he doesn't, and. I think Roy King said at the time that it's because Frank Lampard is English that like, he's given more time in the press. There's no kind of um, talk about his dismissal. And I wonder, is there an element to that? Because like, if you want to look at the cold hard facts of last season, United got to the semi-finals in three cup competitions. Now, fair enough, they were beaten in all three. They finished higher than Chelsea in the league. And Chelsea lost the FA Cup final to Arsenal. So... We're talking here about Chelsea being potential title contenders, but what have Chelsea done so far that suggests that, or what has Frank Lampard done so far that
1: suggests that he's in a much better position to take a team to the title than Oli is? But I think when we look at kind of last year and the year before, you have to understand Chelsea have one arm tied behind the back with the transfer embargo. Um, United spent handsomely the last couple of years with Oli pulling the purse strings. Uh, just the players United are bringing in. They just aren't mixing. So Chelsea now have this great mix of kind of young talent coming up. I do think they are buying proper quality in terms of kind of Timo Werner and you, you just young kind of 21-year-old um, German-led Kai Havertz, who's already got a couple of caps under his belt with the German national team um, yeah. for the centre-midfield. And I honestly do think Germany or Germany-Chelsea are the ones to watch. Frank Lampard, he... Look, look stop crying, Frank Lampard, as the, as the Leeds fans, saying like they broke our heart in the playoffs. Two years ago. Um oh, he didn't go up with Derby but he did a great job at Derby. He did. I think just a young, fresh manager who was a proper leader on the field. Look, Ollie won you a Champions League on the field, but he wasn't the leader on the field. Um no. I think that's kind of someone that you want and you need. I, I, I just very interested to see Chelsea against Brighton tonight. I you could be here next week and I'd be like, no, Chelsea, what was I thinking about? But I honestly do think they are the the dark horses this year. And just to back it up why I think Ollie could be going is Two fair entrance results this weekend. Everything beating Tottenham away. Everything with Angelotti. James Rodriguez now in the middle of their park. Now, he isn't the the James Rodriguez we knew from the World Cup in 2014. But what way are everything going to go this season? I think they're going to be 5th, 6th or 7th. But if you've the likes of everything ahead of United, alarm bells are going off at Manchester United and Arsenal as well. Arsenal to win, 3-0 away from home first game of the season, if they can tie a down to his new contract, get rid of all that um, dark clouds over him, I think you could see great things from Arsenal as well this year.
0: Yeah perhaps I suppose I, I would say two things on, on both of those results. Firstly we just talk about Spurs for a second. Is are we actually seeing living proof now of the decline of Jose Mourinho? Like he said he announced when he came to England that time that he was a special one. He wasn't one of the bottle and he was probably right at the time, but since he left Chelsea in the second spell and like left Chelsea in the second spell is probably putting it mildly, he from the start of that season, between his abusal of the team doctor to basically going on T V after they lost against Leicester to say that the team betrayed him, he lost he lost his head. And he lost his self-discipline as well in terms of keeping things in-house and keeping control of the whole situation. And like we're seeing this stupid, and I, I use the word stupid, Amazon documentary now about Tottenham. And we see him arguing with um, players inside in the inside this office about Danny Rose, I think it was, saying, oh, I want to play. I'm going to see Danny Levy when he comes in. And then we see... Um, Hugo Lloris and Son nearly throwing their hair gel at each other inside in the dressing room. Like, I don't believe that Mourinho in 2003 and 2004 would have let a camera crew anywhere near the training ground or the dressing room to, to film a documentary. Does that not kind of point out where both Spurs and Mourinho are in that they're not, neither of them are the same person or club that they were 24 months ago?
1: Well, look, certainly Mourinho in 2003 compared to now, a kind of success does change somebody. And I would always wonder, kind of, when Mourinho came in, he said he was a special one. Players loved him. I just wonder how much work did he do with players back then to, as you get more successful, you get more staff. And does he have staff now almost contracted to work with the players and how much hands-on is Mourinho with the actual team Um if you can kind of get where I'm coming from, yeah. um, is he kind of taking a step back and leaving what's under him?
0: Maybe he might be better off doing that because yeah. we saw this tenure at United yeah. because he was out in the training pitch with Paul Pogba, and like the press were outside the training pitch too. And to just see the two of them arguing, so like there's no doubt he has had a lot of success. And as he pointed out in recently, he's never lost the Champions League final, Now he hasn't been in one in 10 years, but realistically, Mourinho hasn't achieved anything significant since he brought that Chelsea team to win the title four years ago um, or six years ago, however many years ago it was now. like He was an abysmal failure at United. He was falling out with players left, right and centre. Ironically, the player he fa- he forced out the door at Chelsea, Juan Mata, was probably one of his the best players under Mourinho. But I just think that... Allure has gone from him that he's Jose Mourinho now, who used to be a great manager, rather than Jose Mourinho, who's still a great manager.
1: Well, he, he probably hasn't changed or evolved or adapted to, to the game yeah. in like that, the 20 years. Um, and then, kind of, I we, when you look at Spurs in the documentary, unfortunately, that's just the way football is going. And it's, it's, it's money, it's driving your club's reputation, you want to build a brand instead of building a team um should they have this shiny new stadium that they need to pay for they don't have fans coming into current sides to pay for it so i think you're going to see things um revenue generating that wouldn't have been there 20 years ago that affects the team affects the psychology so no one wants cameras coming in out of the dressing room really do that um like you think of there was a great documentary on netflix about sunderland sunderland till i die um but again, kinda of like you've players commenting on players and the manager throughout the season, and they're being asked questions by the producers that will probably get them thinking, Hey, what's going on here with this fella? And of course then it's going to boil over onto the training pitch and onto the into the dressing room. So for me, I wouldn't be for leaving cameras in at any stage throughout the season. But look, unfortunately that's just the way it's going. Unless they put caps on the money that these clubs are spending, they need to make the money somehow
0: that's true that that's a good point that the the game has definitely changed um it'd be interesting to see how spurs go for the the season i i wouldn't rule out Mourinho as being the first one sacked to be honest i i, I i'd have doubts about whether spurs have the mentality or the consistency to sustain it and speaking of mentality and consistency you spoke about arsenal winning 3-0 against fulham i would caution against getting too optimistic about arsenal to be honest like my dad's an arsenal fan he's he's seen arsenal a lot over the last 50 years and there's just something about Arsenal in the last 5 or 6 years and it it stems from the latter stages of when Fenger was there that they can be world beaters on their day but come a, a manky Tuesday night in Stoke though I know Stoke aren't in the Premier League anymore but that's they're, they're the kind of they're the standard of awfulness that's thrown out there when it comes to good old slogs you'd wonder about their ability still and you I would think that you just have to wait and see, really, from them. Are they different this year? I hope they do stick with Arteta, but I wouldn't certainly be getting too optimistic or too enthusiastic after 3-0 win away from home
1: on the first day of the season against the newly promoted team. But would you not think that the newly promoted team who won the playoffs against all odds, everyone thought it would be Brentford, only, what, 40-odd days or so ago, massive momentum, great bounce, you 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 think that Fulham would have brought the intensity that Leeds brought to Liverpool? That that's your hard slog going to Stoke on a rainy Tuesday night. That could have been the potential slip up, and it was a walk in the park. Yeah, it was a walk. Now and I, and I did read a read a great stat there yesterday about Arsenal. They haven't lost the game in September since 2015, but they were losing plenty of games in August when the when the season was starting in August. So it's just good. Will this be a great springboard if they can pull three or four results together? Be at the top of the table after the first five or six games um, or there or thereabouts. And then it's just the mentality and the psychology of, okay, here we go. We're set up like, you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and I think Arsenal are pretty much, I think they're in a similar situation to United, to be honest, I think neither of them are going to challenge for the title, I think they do have realistic op- or realistic and very kind of, um, they would be hoping that they get into the top four, but I suppose what's worrying for both of them is that like, they're in that space now, Everton do seem to be in that space, they signed a lot of players, and as you said, they signed Hamas Rodriguez, and even if he's not the same player that he was in the 2014 World Cup, he's still a hell of a player, and um, so... There's definitely something going on in Everton and like as we all know, Ancelotti, he won the he won the Champions League, was it twice or three times with AC Milan, so he's he's a coach of significant um um renown. Um and there is I think there's a lot of competition for the top four spaces. I I foresee, to be honest, Man City I think I can't see Liverpool reaching the same points total again but I can't see Man City being so far ahead of either Chelsea or United this season I think, being honest and it, it's easy to say now with hindsight, I think Pep's reputation has taken a bit of a hammering in the last three or four years I wasn't impressed with what he did with Bayern Munich um, they they didn't win the, the Champions League once under um, Pep they they didn't even come close, like he took over them when they had won the Champions League. And Man City have, haven't have even gotten to a semi-final of the European Cup at this stage, or a Champions League. So I wonder, and it's easy to say it, and it's easy for me to sit here um, at home and, and say it, but was it the players who won the Champions League for Barcelona at that time, and did Pep really have anything to do with it?
1: Well, look... Obviously, the players take all the glory, and when things go belly up, the manager gets sacked. Um, but no, I I just think it's the the culture that the manager puts in, and it's the philosophy. And to be fair, I think Man City got unlucky this year in the Champions League. They were in such a good run of form if the season had panned out the way it should have. Um, I do think they would have gone a bit further. Um, but no, I, I, I'm i interested now seeing what Man City can do this year. I don't think they'll be as poor as last year. But it, it meant, uh, we, we learned a lot about Man City this year, where they actually are. Like they won't get to the hundred points they got to a couple of years ago like Liverpool did last year. But they certainly won't be as poor as they were last year. Um like they lost what? Eight, nine games, I think. Um yeah. but yeah, look, they could have strengthened a bit more as well, I believe. But yeah, looking forward to see what they can do. I, I have them down to finish second behind Chelsea. So I think it'll be a close dog fight, dog fight between Chelsea and Man City.
0: I just thought Man City kind of went into the space that United were when David Moyes took over. There was the whole they spent the whole summer talking were they going to get Gareth Bale or going to get Cristiano Ronaldo, and I thought it was very much the same line when I heard that. Oh, are they going to sign Man City? Going to sign Lionel Messi? Like Lionel Messi was never going to leave Barcelona. If Barcelona didn't want to sell him, he was never going to leave. And I think it said a lot about Man City. Um, maybe they. They could I think they could have been faster in saying, Look, this isn't going to happen? Like, talking to sign of signing Messi, realistically, nobody could afford to sign Messi. PSG can't even afford to spend 700 million pounds or 700 million euros on Messi. Well, maybe they could, but they won't. They won't because it's like he's what 32 years of age now. Nobody, not one club, would spend that amount of money on or Messi at this stage. So, I, I just think that I think the standards maybe have fallen back a bit, and I, I just wonder. Has Pep's love for Man City waned a bit, and will he kind of? I I I wouldn't be surprised if Man City, if they did go on and win the league this year, or if Pep called it a day. I don't. I think he 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 does have a certain love for those players, but I'd say he must be doubting now if they'll ever deliver him another Champions League. Yeah,
1: yeah. You'd imagine this is kind of Pep's last hurrah with Man City. Um, I think just the way. The, Last season ended up, and we've started straight into this season. People probably didn't have time to reflect on what was going on, or kind of Man City may have approached him and say, "Look, can we can we go one last time with you, um, and see how things go?" But yeah, I, I unless he delivers the um, the goods with the Champions League this year, this probably is Pep's last year. Uh, but still, I I, I like they should have a good season ahead of them. Like this new young kids coming in, Fernand Torres, um, the the Spanish lad. He's what only twenty twenty one years of age. Um, looks promising. And look, I I think Sergio Aguero is by far the best striker in the league. So oh, if yeah. you can, if you can get Sergio Aguero having a great season and have Sterling and De Bruyne a click behind him, um, sure. Let let's see what way it pans out. But I wouldn't be writing them off just yet. And so look,
0: absolutely. Any team with Sergio Aguero like Sergio Aguero like I'm thirty one years of age now, been seen watching the Premier League for the last twenty five years from what I can remember, like he's by far, in a way, the best striker that has ever been in the Premier League. He hasn't got as many goals as Shearer because he hasn't been playing as long. But, like, his his goals to game and his goals to minute ratio is just phenomenal. And any team with him in their side...
1: Um, and and, will... and, and, I, and I'd be very surprised if Man City actually bought into the whole idea of getting Messi. I don't think they were ever going to be getting Messi. No. Um, I think Messi's next stop will be Qatar or China or somewhere like that. Because you say, who can afford him? So... Uh, yeah I'd be surprised if Pep bought into it.
0: Yeah, okay. We'll 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 uh, crack on, so with the Premier League. Uh, so the next one we just want to discuss here, um, I suppose, is the the Irish players at the weekend. So like I I did see that Jeff Hendricks scored a great goal for West Ham, or for Newcastle against West Ham on his debut. Um, but unfortunately, on the other side of it, then I saw that Jose Mourinho singled out Matt Doherty today um, for a mistake against Everton and kind of he was out suggesting that his defenders aren't fit. So like. Who do you see as being the big Irish promising talents in the Premier League this year?
1: Well, I like uh, I'll, I'll start with Mourinho, and I suppose look, that's another thing of is he losing his marbles? Kind of it's talking about that about players who you've just signed, kind of one your marquee signings for the summer. You know, like, what is he playing at? But then the other flip side of it, then, from an Irish point of view, is the right back who's sitting on the bench because of Matt Darty, Seamus Coleman now captaining in everything again this season, full 90 minutes. Um, if you can get him fit, now, he mightn't be as attacking as Matt Doherty but I think the way the Irish team play, we don't want attacking wing-backs really. So, no. um, I wouldn't... Yeah, look, I rate Matt doherty very highly. Yes, he got dragged off at 15 minutes to go, but it's great to see Seamus Comer get 90 minutes under his belt. Um, other kind of player, as you say, Jeff Hendricks, great goal there um, on Saturday against West Ham a um, couple of players kind of looking at in the goalkeeping position Mark Travers actually got a full game with Bournemouth it looks like he'll be their number one now in the championship Um, yes he did concede three but or sorry he conceded two and a three-two win but great to see Mark Travers playing the full game Um, Shane Duffy also got a goal in the SPL I believe for Celtic
0: yeah um, would, you, would you be worried about the fact that he's gone to Celtic because like no disrespect to Celtic and most Irish people would have a natural affection for Celtic like Celtic, if they were in the English leagues, would not be in the Premier League, they'd be in the Championship at least.
1: I think you're much better having Shane Duffy playing for Celtic week in, week out, than sitting on the bench with Brighton. Yeah, because with Ben White going back to Brighton from his loan spell at Leeds, um, like he he wasn't going to get a look in, he, he, just, he just wasn't. Um, so I think it is a good move from, um, other lads I kind of took a look at. I was interested to see Will Smallbone playing for Southampton. Um, right hand side of midfield it's someone who looks very very promising uh, he didn't have the best of days but look as long as the Irish players are getting Premier League time brilliant, Shane Long amazingly still at Southampton I I, I really do believe Shane Long should get out of Southampton, get to a championship club where he can get the full season under them get scoring goals uh, but look he's still in his plans at Southampton which is great to see um, Hassan he- Heitel, he's got a couple of Irish lads there with Michael Obafemi, of course, who wasn't the most impressed with being dropped from the Irish squad. But look, it's great that we have options. Um, and, and Adam Mida took his chance as well for Norris at the weekend. I think he was only on the p- pitch maybe five minutes and he scored. So it just goes to show our young strikers, when they get opportunities and they get the ball played into them, that they can't take it, which is probably where we let ourselves down against Finland. Oh, this. um
0: it is. Like I, I like I, I was watching so. that. Like those two games that we like the, the draw and the loss that we had in the space for two or four days, like we did try and play the ball around a bit better, but like especially against Finland, like, like we really didn't look like scoring at all during the game and like I know we're only two games into Stephen Kenny's reign now, but is our results more important than the way we play because like Trapattoni's reign started positively, Um, Martin O'Neill's reign started positively and Mick McCarthy's reign started positively. But they all ended the same way that, oh, there was too much criticism for playing defensive football and the results then started to turn. And once the results turned, then they were out in their ear. But what I'd ask you, Kevin, is do we actually have players that are capable of, of not spraying the ball around the pitch, but playing it on the floor?
1: No, I, I do think we do. And like, like the midfield options now. Like James McCarthy back for Crystal Palace, full game again there yes, I know pretty much. Um, if Jeff Hendrick, if Newcastle can actually do something this year, uh, like there talks of Jeff Hendrick going to AC Milan. No, they're no longer the AC Milan of old. They're kind of the Man United of Italy, as I call them now. <laughs> um, but like, if Jeff Hendrick can get a great run going, as I say, will Smallbone, will Robbie Brady ever return to what he what he was? Um, I do think we like the the defence now seems to be fairly solid with John Egan going from strength to strength like that, with the options of right back. Be good to see if N the Stevens stays in the team with Sheffield United. Um they brought in a young lad from Derby, at left back, so it'll provide a bit of competition for him. Which which is also very good for the Irish lads to be getting competition. I just think it's the striker. And it's just what way are the midfielder sent out to play. Are they sent out to play to Hold the ball to keep possession and try and get the odd goal. Are we going to properly attack? Which is what we were told we were going to do under Stephen Kenny. But it was just frustrating to watch that the ball kept going back. Kept going back to Randolph. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's the striker. Um, and looking back at Leeds there again, Patrick Benford is still trying to get onto to the Irish up. Of course, he started out with Ireland as a kid. Went to England. Uh, playing for England. country of his birth. But he's got the Irish ancestry and now he's back looking to play for Ireland so if you guess Patrick Bamford was a proper number 10 target man get him scoring No, I know this sounds mad but 10-15 goals he could be an option for Ireland to look at
0: yeah with like, Connolly or
1: either playing often
0: yeah like it, it, like I know we, we talk about our, our striking difficulties but like I suppose the ball needs to come into the strikers as well and like that usually happens from midfield or I suppose in Ireland's case is the full back stormly, but um. Could we look like have a case of kind of going for looking for looking backwards to go forwards and bring back Len Whelan? Because like I, I would argue that Glenn Whelan is as solid and as consistent and as dependable a player as we've had in a very long time. Like for all the criticism that Glenn Whelan has got, Trap, Martin O'Neill and Mick McCarthy all stuck with him and like I think he controls the pace of the game as well. So like is there a case that Glenn Whelan's omission from the squad Needs to be reversed.
1: I would have to disagree with that. And look, not being ages, but like like you mentioned, all the managers there are going back to what two thousand nine, two thousand ten. So he's been there quite a lot. He like he's a bit fleet with Town there now, and Joey Barton um, after not finishing with Hearts too greatly. But I think at thirty six, it's not the option to be looking at. I think as I say, if you can get James McCarthy injury-free after his horrific leg break a couple of years ago. He hasn't really been the same since. But if you get James McCarthy playing consistent, that's the kind of player you want to slot into where Glenn Whelan was. Or if we're to look at it a little bit more attacking and look at at what's at home, and uh, Stephen Kenny should notice, Jack Burnett, Shamrock Rovers. um, I honestly think when Shamrock Rovers, their mini-season finishes now, um, that he will be looking to come back across the pond to the UK and I think there could be great things ahead for Jack Byrne in Ireland.
0: Yeah. And like just in speaking a proper ball player. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, there's no doubt they, they, there is a lot of um there needs to be kind of there probably does need to be more um promotion of the League of Ireland clubs and some of those players give their chances and you would hope that as the years progress, especially with Stephen Kenny's experience in the League of Ireland, that he'd give a few of them a chance. Um in terms more broadly, do we do you think that the the format of the Nations League in general is a good one or did you prefer the old friendly format?
1: I I think anything that adds a bit of competitiveness to the game is welcome. So I I would welcome the Nations League. The only thing I would do is probably make bigger groups and scrap the playoffs. So kind of, if you you've what, is there six six games? So let's say if you have a group of seven, you, you only play each other either home or away or neutral venues. Um, and then it's in terms of if first place already qualified for the tournament, second gets it, or you kind of work your way down. But I think, yeah, kind of home and away, small groups, more playoffs. Um, I just think that's a bit too uh, too too tough going on players. Kind of like you're playing yeah. the same team. Like how many times have we played Denmark the last couple of years? And yeah. now Wales again. So yeah, Georgia. I think be, yeah, if you've bigger groups... um. I prefer that. But then again, look, it's much better playing Finland or Wales uh, and playing New Zealand. And what are we learning from playing New Zealand? We're beating them 4-1 and thinking over oh, the world's greatest.
0: That's a very good point. Yeah. that—that That is, there's no doubt about that. So like, I suppose we, we'll get, we'll wrap it up from the soccer here. Um, We definitely have had a lot to talk about. It was a very interesting first weekend, the Premier League. And um, no doubt um, next weekend will be just as exciting. And hopefully United can get off a good start next week. I'm sure you'll be hoping for that as well, Kevin. And we'll see how the season goes.
1: I, I actually have United down in my relegation spots.
0: Oh, really? I, hoping I or thinking that will happen? I, do you? I, I
1: don't. I, I, at the moment, I've united in at sixth. That's where I think they'll finish up. Yeah. And just like, just like that, with with relegation, I call it uh, first weekend of the season, West Brom, Fulham and Aston Villa all to go down. West Brom and yeah. Fulham, we saw how poor they were this weekend. And Aston Villa... Um, I just think it's the culture of being down there. I don't think they're going to be we'll able to break that either again this year.
0: Yeah, I think Aston Villa do look like they could be in a bit of trouble again. Like They were very, very lucky to stay up um, this season or last season. And I really did feel sorry for Bournemouth because I saw Bournemouth play a couple of games after the lockdown. And like VAR certainly wasn't their friend. They had a lot of goals ruled out because of VAR. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes. So we'll, I'll drive on so and we'll move to the G.A. So just to get us started on the G.A., just to kind of give us some talking points, I'll go through the G.A. results, just some select results. I'll go through the results of the Cork Senior Hurling Championship, the Kilkenny Senior Hurling Championship, and in the Kerry Senior Football and the Senior Club Championship in Kerry. Um, so in the Cork Senior Hurling Championship, there was two shocks, really. There was one huge shock and one minor shock. Um, today or yesterday... Rather, Nipirshik lost against UCC by 311 to 220, so that's a six point win for UCC. Um, Blackrock beat Douglas, which was a surprise, 122 to 20 points. And on Saturday, there was a, a, a huge shock altogether with SARS losing by a point to Aaron's own, 112 to 16 points. SARS had been going very well, um, and Aaron's own weren't given any chance to, of winning that game, so that was certainly a huge shock there and in Kilkenny there was two um, there was one very good game um, um, on Saturday night Ballyhill Shamrocks um, Winning by a point against James Stevens, um, 322 to 127. Um, that's a very good sign from James Stevens because they, they haven't really been that competitive in a couple of years. And their are Brian, Brian Cody's club, and like they've had the retirements of people like Jackie Terrell, so they do seem to be um, improving. And Dixburg beat O'Loughlin Gales by 216 to 14 points. So we ha- in the final, now we have Dixburg and Ballyhale Shamrocks, who've both won the. Kenny Senior Highland Championship for the last couple of years um, and in Kerry the Kerry Senior Football Championship, Dr Crokes lost by a pie to Mid Kerry in an absolute classic um, 319 um, to, for Dr Crokes and 320 for Mid Kerry and East Kerry had a very comfortable win against St Brendan's, one eleven to 8 points and in the Kerry Club Championship Austin Stacks won that by 3 points after extra time um, so we you can start, Kevin, if you want. Um, any standout games for you over the weekend in the GA?
1: Well, look, the one I kept most of the eye on was the the game that was actually broadcast live as well in RT2 on Friday night. Um, East Kerry versus Brendan's in the Senior Football Championship semi final. Uh, Brendan's would be kind of the Tralee clubs in its environs. So, way um, would be my local club at home and it would kind of take in John Mitchell's as well, another prestigious club in Kerry, along with Churchill. Artfort and Saint Pat's out in Blennerville, so uh, there was there was a lot of kind of excitement building around this guy. Kind of Brendan's have always been the whipping boys in senior football championship in Kerry, and these Kerry of course reigning champions were without David Clifford, who uh, after a red card last weekend or the weekend before was um, suspended. So we were we, we thought we were going to be in for a treat and start off with a great great first half, very attacking, free phone, um, some great points. Um, a great goal taken as well by um, Evan Cronin who's, Cronin whose surname was just about to evade me there but um, unfortunately second half it was almost as if Brendan's didn't realise the game was on and so they, they didn't score their first point in the second half until the 52nd minute um, when it was kind of all over and done with Then they, they got three points in very quick succession but they, a lot of county kind of talent on show and like with Jack Barry and Dearman O'Connor in the middle of the park, you were thinking, okay, here they, they should have been able to pull the strings. But fortunately, they, they put Dearman into full forward um, and just started lobbing in high balls. And instead of taking their points from out the park, they were just lobbing in high balls and they were going wide and they were going here, there, and everywhere. Um, unfortunately, Ivan Parker from Churchill, who former Kerry minor, who we kind of expect great things of, who's always kind of been on the fringes of should he get a call up to the Kerry team. Um, unfortunately didn't perform either a lot of frees gone wide um, some poor selection with the frees as well because um, the Churchill goalkeeper Owen with um Brendan's took a beauty off the ground and put it over the bar in the first half then second half there was two frees he could have slotted over but it, he wasn't given the opportunity so look with East Kerry with the extra players coming in from Rapmore, they had a couple of Kerry County stars as well Paul Murphy Jack Sherwood um, Darren Moynihan uh, Davis' brother, Paulie Clifford, who's within the Kerry setup as well in there. But, um, yeah, they were class. They were proper attacking free-flowing football. Yes, it kind of dried up a bit in the second half. But the the second game then on Saturday between Croaks and mid Kerry, a treat for the eyes. Like If anyone can get the stream, I, I definitely recommend watching it. So even Croaks without Tony Boston, who went out with a punctured lung there last week, he'll be out for the season, which is a blow for Kerry if the championships get underway. But um, still so 320 to 319. Uh, went to extra time, was settled in pretty much the last kick of extra time as well. So I think the, the standard of football in the Kerry County Championship this year, um, if, as I say, we can get the championships up and running into the county, there's great hope for Kerry. I, I would be confident that the boys have got a great run out. It's been very competitive. Um, and even with the club championship. So in Kerry, we kind of have a senior championship which encompasses eight club teams and eight divisional teams. And then there's a club championship, which is just for the clubs. That was played off earlier on this summer. but The final was on today, Stacks and um, Kinmare. Stacks went out, um, winners by three points. Again, went to extra time. But uh, it just shows that the the momentum is there, that the lads are staying on, playing there. They're hungry for the county teams, for the county places. Um, So not a great game today between Stacks and Kinmare. Because Stacks were county championship uh, winners as well last or, yeah, last year um, and of course East Kerry won the Senior Championship so couldn't go into Munster and so sure Stacks then played Nemo after kind of six or seven weeks after their last game and they, they got hockeyed in the semi-final to watch the championship so, but good to see Stacks with the momentum today after not playing for maybe four or five weeks um, so, so good things for Kerry football ahead hopefully Yeah,
0: and Kevin would you be kind of concerned the fact that the, the Senior Football Championship has two divisional sides in the final now like we saw in Cork today or yesterday rather um, with Nipirshig playing UCC like UCC were able to call upon Mark Coleman who plays at Blarney in Cork Shane Conway, who plays in Kerry um, Paddy O'Loughlin, who plays his top hurling in Limerick and Paddy Cadell who plays his top hurling in Tipperary they're all very distinguished intercounty stars and are able to pick through are able to pick through a, a lot bigger gene pool of players than club sides are so like would you be concerned with the kind of, in Cork and Kerry, we, we, we see it a bit with the county championships, divisional or college sides dominating the county championship.
1: No, I, I wouldn't. Um, I, now there, is, there is chat at home in Kerry about knocking down the the amount of divisional sides uh, to four and increasing the senior teams to 12. Because it's strange in a county like Kerry that you would only have eight senior clubs. But I, I I'm very much first because what it does is it makes your senior clubs more competitive. Um and it it just drives on the standard of football in the county. look if you're gonna be um kind of greedy about it from a c co- county side of view, look it it brings more lads from several clubs together who can gel together within the, the divisional side. So then when they go to the county side not only are they playing with lads with their club team but also the divisional team so they're able to gel and know each other better and, 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 and play more efficiently. Uh, but certainly from a standards point of view, sure, look, Croaks were winning county championships like there was no tomorrow their the last couple of years in Kerry and they, they took no notice of the divisional team. So I don't think it puts too much of a disadvantage on the, on, the, on the club teams because by right, the club teams have more time to prepare when the divisional sides, their junior and intermediate teams are playing their championships before they go in with the divisional teams.
0: Yeah, like we, we've we seen in Cork it, it has impacted us in Cork to be honest in senior hurling, like MO which is the East Cork GA board, so they, they have a pick of a huge amount of players and East Cork hurling is, is really flying at the moment, they've won the county championship for the last three years now they were knocked out this year by UCC as it happens, Um, but because they're a divisional team they couldn't go forward into the Munster Club Championship so the losers of the county final were going forward and like being honest, like if you lose a county championship final, you're not going to have much interest in the first round of the Munster Club Championship, or whatever interest you do have is diluted by the fact that you've lost your county final. And yeah, but like, you, you you probably have more of a chance
1: because you haven't been on the beer celebrating, though.
0: Maybe so, or else they might have been on the beer commiserating. You don't know, but like the the three of them, the the last three years, like the Glen Rovers, um, I think was it Middleton a couple of years ago and Black Rock as well. They didn't do a thing. They were well beaten in the Munster Club Championship most years. Like Glenn Rovers are probably the best club side in Cork at the moment. And like they lost the county final last year to Imokelee, but they, they didn't do anything in the first round of the Munster Club Championship. So like I suppose whatever about the, the 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 divisional sides, a problem Kerry doesn't have is a college side fielding a team basically of inter-county stars from Cork and other counties competing against them. Like, as I said, um, the four lads today um, are all into county stars playing at UCC. And I remember I represented my own club, Brian Dillon's, we're a junior club in the north side of Cork City. Um, I represented my club in the county convention a couple of years ago, and I remember, and he got quite derided for it by the junior and intermediate clubs, um, Jude O'Callaghan, who was, who was the secretary of Glen Rovers, standing up saying, he put two motions to the county board convention. Both were defeated. First of all, he was calling for the removal of UCC from the county championships, which I remember was widely defeated. Frank Murphy, who was still the secretary at the time, um, very much opposed it. And secondly, when that motion was defeated, he put forward a motion that clubs or players with senior clubs in other counties shouldn't be able to line out for UCC, which, I voted against it because, being honest, and this might sound quite trivial, there's a tendency in our club to vote whatever against whatever motion that Glenn Rovers bring forward to our county convention because it normally doesn't do much good for junior clubs. Um, but we voted against it. But it's something that Shawnee McGrath brought up in commentary yesterday regarding on, on the that he was glad to see the UCC lining out and those players lining out. But is it unfair on clubs who produce their own players to have basically a conglomerate of other counties and of stronger club players in Cork knocked them out of the county championship. Is that fair?
1: Look, I would always say, look, there's, there's no fair or unfair. Either either you're good enough on the pitch or, or you're not. And unfortunately, that's the cold hard facts about it. I, I'm very much in favour of the likes you usually see in CIT taking part in the Cork County Championships. Simply, well, A, because, look, it, it gets young lads out in the field. They, they want to be playing and we want kids to be playing. Um, and yes, look, I can understand if people are saying, look, if there are senior players in other counties, Clare, Tip and, sure, Shane Conway, um, look, is an, uh, well his class is an intermediate player, in Munster, but he'd be a senior player in Kerry. I'm sure pretty much won the Fitzgibbon Cup there for UCC um, the last couple of years. Um, but no, I'm very much in favour of it because I say, look, it gets lads playing, it keeps lads involved in the sport. Uh, like we go on about kind of colleges being done over and college players being done over, and that they're squeezed into January with Sigerson Cup and Fitzgibbon Cup, and then we're saying, oh, they should get games, they should get proper games, and then we go to the championships, and it's oh, why are they playing? They shouldn't be there. Um, but I think one way, that probably Cork, could look at it is maybe say that UCC can only pick from undergrad players, so players who are just doing their undergraduates, instead yeah. of kind of bringing back lads on scholarships to do masters who are seasoned intercounty pros, who, let's be honest, are only in college to play hurling. Um, that probably gives UCC the the step up. But no, I'd, I'd maybe just have undergrads to be able to pick from um, for UCC for the championships, and I'd be okay with that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and I suppose it, 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 we would have to point out as well that having intercounty players on your panel is no guarantee of success, because as you mentioned, it with St Brendan's did a few Car- carry senior intercounty players, and like we saw it yesterday with Douglas as well losing to Blackrock. Like Blackrock had no Cork senior intercounty players on the team, um, but Douglas had three, and they had the next intercounty player, um, Stephen Moylan as well. Like. For Douglas, Shane Kingston scored ten points. Brian Turnbull, who's a good promising promising prospect for Cork, scored five points, and Alan Cadogan scored three. But other, th- other than the three of them, which are there, probably three star players, they only scored two other points. So it goes to show that like having those intercounty players on a team or a panel, whether you're a club or a county. It, it's definitely a benefit, but you do need a, you do need other players around them that are up to the standard. And clearly, Sheik didn't because, to be fair, Sheik did have a few intercounty players there too. They had Dara Connery and Christopher Joyce and Evan Sheehan played under twenty in minor hurling for Cork, so they weren't without talent themselves. And like I, I almost think Douglas got to, to go back to Douglas for a second, losing against Blackrock. I think Douglas have almost become an epiphany of Cork hurling, to be honest. Some very good, skillful players like Alan Cadigan, Shane Kingston, and Brian Turnbull, who who rack up a lot of scores, but at the end of it, they're more styled in substance. And like we've seen with Cork in the Senior Hurling Championship or the Intercounty season the last year or four years, we get big scores, but we concede them too. And like the standard of club hurling in Cork compared to like what we saw in Kilkenny, there's no comparison really. Cork is still lagging behind and. I heard Marty Morrissey today on the ra- or yesterday on the radio saying um, that the, that Cork hurling is in a very healthy state based on the on the game between Blackrock and Douglas. But like, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that either because I think we've kind of lulled ourselves in the Cork to the false sense that a high scoring game with all the forward scoring is what we want to see. That's not necessarily true because you see in Kilkenny, you see in Tipperary, you see in Limerick, good tough hurling that might not be high scoring, but it's it builds discipline and it shows that they're able to play in more in more than just high scoring games. And I think when the scoring, when especially in, in terms of car hurling, when we're involved in low scoring games, we struggle. We we do well in a shootout, but in low scoring games, we do struggle. And I wonder, our Douglas, um, kind of. Just the kind of club example in Cork of what Cork hurling has become.
1: I I, I won't lie to you, Mark. I, I, I wouldn't be the expert in terms of the Cork hurling. But um, one thing, look, I, I will say on it is that if I was Black Rock coming up against UCC, I wouldn't be worried. And I'll tell you this for you. So the difference between a college team and a divisional team is, so let's say divisional teams coming up, like the lads who've been playing with each other, they're, they're probably getting picked from under 14 upwards. And look, just to go back to Kerry football, um, the county minor final was on midweek as well. East Kerry actually beat Brendan's as well in the county minor final. So, like, if these lads were playing with each other from 14s up, um, then let's say you take a club like either Black Rock or Douglas, these kids are playing with each other since they were seven, eight, nine years of age, and they're coming up then against the college team who were meeting at 18 and 19. Um, it's it's very rare if you could get three players from the one club on the college team, whereas on a division team you you have seven, eight, nine lads on, on the panel. So I don't think any team should fear the college teams within the senior hurling championship.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, well, we won't wrap it up, but we'll we'll just go to the next topic, and um, which is regarding the county season this year. And we we've had some, what I would say is positive news that from the GA that the Intercounty season is going to go ahead. Now, in the Republic, we're still not allowed to go to games and I, I will be honest, I was up visiting family in, in the North last, or at the weekend and I did actually get the uh, opportunity to go to a a game. They, there is a crowd limit of 300 in the North. Um, Leitrim Fontenay, which is my brother's club, they lost Um, by, they scored 16 points and Saul scored 5-9. It was a very good game of football, but like being honest, in terms of um, social distancing and so on, I thought it was a kind of a ridiculous setup. Really, in terms of there were seven rows in the stand, four of them were um, closed to keep space between people, but so there was only three rows for people to sit on. But everybody sitting on the same row were sitting pretty much right next to each other. So social distancing did go out the window. So I guess, firstly, Kevin, do you think there will be crowds at, at the intercounty season if it does go ahead? And secondly, if there are no crowds, do you think it should go ahead?
1: Um, I, I think it's great to hear that you took your chance to go to a game at the weekend. And it's even better to hear that it was a great game of football in, in, in Ulster. Um, that's very rarely the case. Um, I am of the opinion that I, I'm not a romantic in the sense that if we can't have the championships back the way they should be, I don't believe they should go ahead. Um First of all, if it's not safe to be in the ground, people shouldn't be in the ground. And that's kind of what we must say. Um, we, we must follow the the guidelines of, of public health. Um, yes, look, I, I'd have loved to have been there on Friday night in Tralee. And even better if I was it was um, at the Croaks and mid Kerry game on Saturday, which was an absolute classic. But if it's not safe for us, you, you have to look at the wider picture and say we shouldn't be there. And then if it's not safe for anyone to be in the ground or if they're going to put a cap on the amount of people who can be in the ground, I don't think the inter-county championships can be feasible because, yes, the government may give a grant, but we see the spiraling costs of the championships nowadays. And is it worth putting county boards into massive debts if the government doesn't match the, the grants that we need, all for the sake of a shortened championship that thing could have knock on effects for years to come for the grassroots sports because you're looking, it could like it, it costs into the millions now to run county teams, and we all don't have the sponsorship as Dublin do.
0: Yeah, but I, I would argue they're right. I think they should go ahead because, like, even being at the game today, but watching games on TV as well, I, I've gotten a massive buzz from it. And it, like, we can remember back to the depths of March and April and May when. We were all told to stay at home, stay within two or five kilometres of your house. There was no sport on TV. You'd turn on the television and nearly every second thing you would see was either Tiger King um, or the news talking about coronavirus. So I think sport has been a very welcome distraction. And I would argue that, especially at senior inter county level, they're very controlled environments. So I think county boards and... um panels are well capable of maintaining a safe environment um, amongst themselves, um, and like there will be rigorous testing. But I would argue, in terms of the financial thing, I think not only should the government be assisting the GA, and I would argue the IRFU and the, the FEI in that, but Especially the GA, like we we get this kind of thing thrown at us every so often by the anti-GAA brigade. Oh, they're the grab all association. They love getting state money. Your coming to off for of Crow Park, blah 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 blah. Parky Creeve, blah blah blah. But like we all saw during the lockdown, the the efforts that GA clubs and county boards up and down the country did to make to raise money for charity and for for very worthwhile causes. So. I think if there are any county boards who would be put into a situation where they could go out of existence because of the senior inter season, I actually think the government have a duty to support them and to make sure they don't because I think what the GA contributes to this country is fantastic and it'd be a shame if the the virus was to prevent the championships going ahead.
1: Look, I I 100% agree in what you're saying that yes kind of community spirit and J spirit really was alive and well during the pandemic and it really was a, a like a, a pleasure to see and they, everyone involved should be very proud of themselves but i would argue the fact that what makes crow park any more irish than the abbey theatre and like you have the art sector who which is on its knees live music is on its knees there's an awful lot more it's on its knees and there isn't all that money in the past for the government to be going, Okay, there you go. You can have a blank cheque and away you go. It's not there. We need to be realistic about it. And I don't think it's fair then on getting lads who are playing inter-county football who, they won't be able to get a bus to Crow Park, so then you're getting three or four lads in the car. Like, who's paying the mileage on 10, 15 cars? Like, it mightn't sound like an awful lot, but if you're a smaller county like Leitrim or, or Sligo who... Look, you never know. Any given Sunday this year, have a run. They might be able to fulfil a fixture because they can't afford it. Yeah, the and
0: difference. then you're,
1: and then what you're doing then is you're taking money out of the club championships, which has been providing so much joy to people. Um, and I, I, I honestly believe some county boards will already be a last this year for streaming games, but they're doing it to get people seeing games. I just think for the sake of one year, and a lot of counties, sixteen counties would only play one game in the championship this year. Um, let's maybe have a pause and a rethink and say look 2020 can move on and we can start again afresh next year.
0: Yeah I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with it but you do have a a good point in terms of I heard John Horan he was speaking with um, RTE Sport a couple of months ago um, or a couple of weeks ago now at this stage and he was talking he was asked the question um, what would happen if for example there was an outbreak in a county um in the lead-up to a Championship match or even in the lead-up to an all Ireland final. And he referenced Tipperary and Kilkenny in the 1940s, was it 1944 or forty five, having to not field the team in the Senior Hurling Championship due to the foot and mouth outbreak at the time. Um, or was it foot and mouth or was it um, polio? I think it was polio outbreak at the time. And I think that got a lot of people kind of somewhat alarmed because it'd be a farcical situation if in the All-Ireland football final this year it was Kerry and Dublin again and the the cases in Dublin spiked higher than they already are and they were denied the six in a row because they were told not to field the team. So I I can certainly see your point there that there does it does leave obviously the financial position but um, probably the logistics of it might be too hard but would you could you not argue though that if a Championship was to go ahead, no matter who won it, there'd be an asterisk beside it anyway, so that even if some counties were told to exit the Championship, that, look, it's better that we have some games rather than nothing.
1: Look, look, you'd like to think that all counties now with such, have such an array of talent and a pool to pick from, and, OK, maybe not the smaller counties, but i it's say if... Kerry's first fifteen weren't they able to play. That maybe that they could go ahead with the second fifteen, so they would be able to fulfil the fixture. And um, we wouldn't like to see any team backing away from a fixture. But look, just the more I think about it, I just think that the country it could be. I I just don't think it's a good idea. Like you you you're you're talking about. We don't know what way the pandemic's going to go. What way the health service is going to go. And yet, then we want lads to be talking out in the Hogan stands on the twenty first of December for a football final, like we I'm sure you've you have you have been up around Dublin kind of Christmas time it's not exactly the warmest of climates to be getting out undressed in a stand to go out and play a game of football. Not great preparation um I just it just doesn't sit well with me i just I, I think we're going down the wrong road of playing this, as I say I think we should just pause it and move on to next year
0: yeah that's a very fair point and I think it was the no o'Rourke on Twitter, I saw saying something about the fact that if the Inter-County championships were to go ahead this year. That pretty much what you're going to have is that Inter-County players are going to be training Inter-County 12 months non-stop because, like, we don't know what when next season's going to start. But they usually start in training in January. And like, if this if the intercounty season is going to go ahead until December this year and start again as normal next year, then there there probably will be player welfare issues there. And is it going to be fair on players? But like, I think. We we're all kind of told at this stage regarding the general environment that it's going to be a very hard winter and that we're probably going to have a lot more tough days ahead in terms of this virus. So, like I hope they are going to be able to get it into country championship, but I wouldn't be entirely confident that the GA's announcement yesterday means that there will be one because, like I'm a Cork season ticket holder, you're a Kerry season ticket holder, we got refunds on our season tickets, but I'm also I also have a car, a, a premium ticket at Parky Creve, and they've announced that they're extending the expiry date of those by one year. So they're not, they don't seem to be entirely confident that crowds will be allowed at games, um not to mind, um, sufficient numbers. So, like, it, it will be hard to see a situation whereby there's an All Ireland final on the twenty-first of December in Crow Park, in front of only five thousand people on a freezing cold December day. Um, or worse in front of nobody so you do have a point there I I would be hopeful they could go ahead but hope doesn't necessarily translate to confidence from me on that one I'm afraid look kind of
1: the Premier League and other divisions around Europe work well um, behind closed doors because you've got the big money TV deals unfortunately we don't have it so look someone just has to be realistic and say "It it doesn't cost nothing to run the championship and money has to come from somewhere. And I, I don't think the government have too much of it to be given out to everybody. Um so yeah. Uh, let's would I love to see a championship? Of course I would. Am I getting my hopes up? Certainly not.
0: Yeah, that, that that's fair enough. So I think that's um, a good point to finish on. So it's been a very um, interesting first show, I think. Um it's been a new experiment to both of us. Um we'll We'll play it by ear. We'll see how we get on with it. We'll make a few tweaks based on people's suggestions. Um, we hope, hopefully, we'll be in a position to get on some um, guests on the show. But we, we'll keep going week by week, and um, hopefully you enjoy it. And we're on Twitter and, and Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, at Back at the Stand 2. Um, on Facebook, look up the Back of the Stand. Um, so from this week, I'm your host, Mark, and um, it's been very good to join you.
1: Thanks Thanks very much, much, Mark. Have a good day.
0: Take care.